Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, well, before we uh, get started, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, which hopefully you'll find out the answer to before the end of uh, today's talk. Uh, The first one is, and you might be able to guess this one uh, from the passage, which domesticated animal never goes feral? Which domesticated animal do you never find feral? And uh, the second one is, did Jesus ever play charades? And if he did, what was he trying to communicate? Well, keep those two things in mind while we look at the passage this morning. Sometimes it's quite uh, important with a Bible passage, and particularly with a psalm or a piece of poetry or a song, which this is, to look at the structure of the passage. It's actually quite interesting that you can often find out quite a lot by looking at the last bit and the first bit. Where does it start? Where does it finish? This can apply to lots of books of the Bible, chapters of the Bible, but it particularly applies to the 23rd Psalm. You'll notice, and I hope that uh, font's not too small for you, I didn't know at home, but anyway, uh, if you can see it, you'll notice that the psalm starts and finishes with the words, the Lord. Now, actually, in the original language, the last word of the psalm was, in fact, the Lord. In English, it's the second last uh, letter. Now, what is the Lord? I think Luke's already explained uh, explained to us that where you see Lord written in small capital letters in the Old Testament, it's translating the personal name of God. We don't know how that name was said. In English, we sometimes say Jehovah, and a more modern trend is to say Yahweh. Because in Hebrew, they didn't write down the vowels. And of course, they never said the name of God because they didn't want to run the risk of taking the Lord's name in vain. So we don't know how they actually pronounced it. But what it means is Jehovah or Yahweh is my shepherd and I will live in the house of Yahweh forever. Now, what's so important about this? Well, because it's the personal name of God. It's the name of God that he revealed to his people. Yahweh, or the Lord, is the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, who sustains everything moment by moment and controls everything, but he's also the God who's told us his first name. He's introduced himself personally to his people. He's the God that we can have a personal relationship with, but he's also the God who revealed himself to Israel through the Old Testament and made many promises to Israel. The second thing you'll notice about the structure of the psalm, and I've tried to put it up on the screen in such a way that it becomes obvious, is that there are two verses. 
or we don't call them, we'll call them stanzas because we don't want them to get confused with verses in the Bible. So there are two stanzas to the psalm and there's a bit in the middle. The first stanza uh, uses the word me a lot. It talks about David. The second stanza talks about you. It talks about God, what he's doing. The first stanza is about God being a shepherd. The second stanza is a little bit different. Some people think it's still talking about God being a shepherd, but most people say it's talking about God being the host of some kind of banquet in his home. So that we've got these two stanzas, and right in the middle is often the most important part. Right in the middle of the psalm, the core of the psalm, is the bit that I've shown in the middle there. You are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that gives us a good indication that that's the key message of this psalm, the centrepiece of the psalm. Well, with those things in mind, let's uh, start looking at it. When you think about it, Psalm 23 is an incredible statement. Of course it is, we know that. Remember who's writing this psalm? It's King David. Now, David is a king, but he was also a shepherd. We know from the Old Testament, if you read 1 and 2 Samuel and the Psalms, you'll know that David had a great heart to follow God. He achieved many great things for God and for God's people. He was the greatest king that Israel had. He had many triumphs. But we also know, if we read the story in the Bible, that he lived in danger most of his life. For much of it, his actual life was in danger. He had many enemies. He knew what it was like also to fail God. He knew what it was like to sin terribly. He knew what it was like to feel guilty, to go through tough times. David knew what it was like to be depressed, to feel that God wasn't with him and to feel that God's plan was failing. God had promised David that he would be a king who would have a descendant on the throne forever. And at times, it just didn't seem like that to David, if you read the stories about him in the Old Testament. But that's us, isn't it? That's us as Christians. We have a heart to follow God. If we're Christians, we want to follow God. We sometimes do well. We have great triumphs. But at other times, we fail God. At times, we face trouble, maybe at work, in our families, or we're sick or we're depressed, we face trials, we maybe even face death. In short, just like David, we sometimes walk through the darkest valley. The question that we're looking at today is, as David seeks to serve God, to live a godly life through the good times and the bad, through the celebrations and through the hard times, and even when he faces death itself, is there a truth which holds David's life together? What allows him to face life and death with confidence? If you look through the Psalms, sometimes David's miserable, sometimes he's trapped in sin, sometimes he's confessing to God, sometimes he's repenting, he's sometimes rejoicing, and at times he's just totally perplexed. Through all of this, David remains convinced that God is faithful, that God is powerful, that God is for him. David's confidence is not based on David's love of God. It's not based on how much God loves, sorry, David loves God. David's confidence is not based on his obedience to God. 
how much he obeys. And it's not even based on his understanding of how fantastic God is. His confidence is based on his relationship to God. David's secret to facing life and death is simple. David's secret is, the Lord is my shepherd. It's as simple as that. The Lord is his shepherd. Let's look at those words. The Lord, Yahweh, the God who created the universe, who reveals himself and has personal relationships with people, that God, that Lord, is David's shepherd. The interesting thing about this psalm is not that it's about a shepherd. There are plenty of passages in the Bible about a shepherd. The interesting thing about this psalm is the emphasis on my shepherd, my, my. Read through it. The word my occurs in this psalm more than in just about any other passage of the Bible. Martin Luther said that being a true Christian is often about using the right personal pronouns. Interesting, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. That's what David felt. Lastly, he's a shepherd. Now, it's not so surprising that David thought of this analogy as God being a shepherd, seeing as David was a shepherd himself and there would have been shepherds all around Israel. But it's not quite as simple as that, is it? Because if David is saying that he's a shepherd, David is identifying himself as a sheep. Sheep are useless. They're stupid. I believe, and some of you might be able to correct me, that you never find a feral sheep. Other animals can escape and live in the wild by themselves. We have feral dogs, we have feral rabbits, we have feral cats, feral cattle, feral camels, goats. But we don't find feral sheep because they can't survive without the herd or the, uh, the flock and without the shepherd. David is saying that without God, he can't survive. The first thing we have to say to ourselves before we can say the Lord is my shepherd is to admit that we are like sheep, that we need a shepherd, that we need to be fed and protected and guided. This is incredibly humbling for King David because he was himself a shepherd used to looking after and doing those things for the sheep, and he was a king. The Old Testament says that the kings of Israel were to be shepherds of the people of God. So he was a literal shepherd and he was a metaphorical shepherd. He was a king. He's claiming that the God who made the universe is not just a shepherd, that's just not what God's like, he's not just Israel's shepherd, but he's David's shepherd. He has a sheep-shepherd relationship with the creator of the universe. It's humbling for David, because he's a king and a shepherd, to think that he's actually, before God, a sheep. But it's the secret to David's confidence in life. It's going to be humbling for us to admit that we need a shepherd through life. And in fact, people denigrate Christians, don't they? Say, well, you're only a Christian because you need a crutch to help you through life. So what? What kind of an idiot who needed a crutch wouldn't use one? But we've got to admit that we need a shepherd to see us through life. We're not kings, but we like to think that we're the kings of our own life. Have you admitted that you're a sheep who needs a shepherd? 
Or do you still think you can go it alone in life out there in the wild? If you do, it's no wonder that life at times would be scary, that you would be afraid, being a sheep out there without a shepherd. Someone once said, or I think it might have been a bumper sticker, there's only one God, so stop applying for his job. Makes sense, doesn't it? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. Once we've admitted that God is our shepherd and we've trusted in him as our shepherd, David says that he'll provide everything we need. We will not be in want. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. The sheep have all their needs met by the shepherd. Food, drink, rest and recreation. Do you have a God who is a slave driver? Because the God of the Bible is not a slave driver. Do you think God just wants you to do stuff and work harder? No. God provides all our needs, which include food, drink, rest, recreation. That's the God of the Bible. Not just physically, though. He refreshes my soul. He meets our spiritual needs as well. Our shepherd repairs our broken uh, spirits, our souls, and he sustains us through life. He doesn't just give us life, but this has the implication of giving us a full, abundant life. Now, as people familiar with the New Testament, some of this should start to sound familiar. In John 10, Jesus says, He is the good shepherd who came that we may have life and have it to the full. I'm hopeless at the game charades. You know the idea. Without speaking, you have to act out something and the people who are in the audience have to guess what it is. Um, When I do it, no one ever guesses. Uh, I could blame the audience, but it's actually me. But did Jesus ever play charades? And if he was, what was he trying to communicate to his audience? Who was he being? Well, if Jesus was going to act out that he was the shepherd of Psalm 23, what would he do? Think about the feeding of the 5,000 as described in Mark 6. Jesus was with his disciples and they were very busy. They'd been working very hard and this is what happens. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So the first thing he does is says to the disciples, come with me to a quiet place by the water and get some rest. Now, of course, the paparazzi were always following Jesus and when they went to this quiet place, it wasn't quiet for long. A great crowd came. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, we know the story. They were there all day and they didn't have anything, any food. So... Jesus says to the disciples, well, let's, uh, you know, find some food. And they go, but if we went and bought it, that would cost eight months' wages. We can't do that. And he says, well, have a look around and see if anyone's got any food. And someone comes with a lunchbox with some loaves and fishes. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, 
you know, you don't read the green grass in the Gospels much. Why is it the green grass? Because I think it's making a point. It's lush green grass where Jesus is going to feed them. And it says sit down in our English translation, but you might know that in the Middle East they actually recline and lie down so to eat. And so the original said he asked them to recline on the green grass or lie on the green grass. They all ate and they were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken uh, pieces of fish and bread. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. They were satisfied. There was stuff left over. Their cup was running over with blessing. Jesus offers them rest. He identifies them as sheep without a shepherd. He gets them to lie down in green pastures. He feeds them both physically and spiritually with his teaching. He provides a banquet for them. They lack nothing. Their cups overflow. Jesus wants them to get the picture, the charade. He wants them to identify him as the good shepherd of Psalm 23. And by implication, he's saying, I am God, because it's the Lord who is the shepherd of Psalm 23. The Old Testament was clear that Israel's leaders were bad shepherds, but that God would provide a good shepherd to lead them in the future. And this is described in Ezekiel 34. But there's a weird thing about Ezekiel 34. It's really good to go and read that later, by the way. It's just amazing how it correlates with this psalm and with Jesus. But it says in Ezekiel 34 that this shepherd is going to be a descendant of David. Fine, Jesus is a descendant of David. But it also says that this shepherd is going to be Yahweh himself. Now, that would have been really confusing for the people listening to Ezekiel, wouldn't it? This shepherd is going to be a descendant of David, but he's also going to be God himself. But then we meet Jesus. Jesus is a descendant of David. Jesus is saying he is God himself. So let's reframe Psalm 23 for us. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus provides everything we need. Jesus refreshes our souls. He guides us along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Jesus guides us along right paths. Have you ever thought, however, if God is guiding me, I wouldn't have really ended up in this dark valley? How can God be guiding me when I've ended up in this dark place? If you've thought that way, and we've all thought that way, I would, I would suggest to you at times then it's not because of wrong guidance, it's because of wrong expectations. Our ideas of guidance are quite different from those in the Bible. Psalm 23 shows us that we will have times of rest and recreation, but will expects us to be surrounded by enemies, to go through dark places. The emphasis here is not on safe paths, but on right or righteous paths. God is... I, I know this is disappointing to us at times in our life, but God is more concerned with guiding our moral responses than he is with guiding us out of difficult situations. How do we get guidance? John 10 says that the sheep will hear the shepherd's voice and they will follow him. It's clear that we hear Jesus' voice today in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us directly which job to take, where to live, who to marry, whether to stay in your own home or move to a retirement village. 
Instead, it tells you how to act at work. It tells you how to interact with your neighbours and your families. What brings glory to God, that is for his name's sake, and that's why he's guiding us, what brings glory to God is not whether you're a ditch digger or a doctor, but the way you act in that situation. That's what brings glory to God, and that's what he's going to guide you in. Not whether to be a ditch digger or a doctor, but how to act when you're in that situation. That's the guidance that God promises to give us and will bring glory to his name. God guides us in how to become more like Jesus and thus bring glory to God. Romans 8 says that God works all things together for good for those who love him. But it also says what the good is. A lot of people don't read that part. A little bit further down in Romans 8, it says that we may be conformed to the image of his son. That is, that we may become like Jesus. That's the good that God guides us into, the righteous paths for his glory. And so the question is, when you're looking for God's guidance, do you want him to guide you to become more like Jesus? Because that's what he's promised to do. And that's what we should be looking for. Now, this is um, the very heart of the uh, psalm, isn't it? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even with God guiding us, there will be dark times in our lives, times of despair and loss. Sometimes they might be almost unbearable. But we have a shepherd who allows us to face these things. Why? Because God is in control. He rules the world and he protects us with his rod. The shepherd's rod was a stick to beat off animals that were attacking. It was the symbol of ruling for God's king. God rules the world. He is in control and he goes with us. He guides us. He is with us as a shepherd with that rod of control that controls the whole world. And he guides us with his supporting staff. That's the staff, the crook that the shepherd used to pull the sheep from going the wrong way and put them on the right way. That's why David can get through the darkest valley. It's the key idea of this psalm because God is with him as a shepherd with his control of the world and his guiding hand. He can get through anything. But where is he getting us through to? Where's the destination? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The picture changes to a victory feast where David has every blessing and more from God. Even in the face of his enemies... And this will go on even after death where he'll live in God's house forever. One night I went for a walk. I used to go for a walk at night after work to exercise and a little dog started following me. It was a lost dog. It followed me for over an hour. I tried to get rid of it. I pointed it down driveways. I gave it a drink out of someone's garden tap. I told it to go home, but it kept following me and it followed me all the way home. It was exhausted when we got home, but I just couldn't shake it off. God says, David says, that God's goodness and love will do that with us. It'll stick to us closer than a shadow through life. We won't be able to shake it off. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul says. Nothing. And David says it here too. But this love, you might know the older version of the psalm where it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's translating one word in the original, which for those of you who may know it is hesed. It's not just any old goodness and love. It's the covenant promised love that God gave, that Yahweh gave to his people in the Old Testament. David knew that God had promised these things to him to be with him and to guide him and that he was faithful. If he looked back through the history of Israel, he could see that whenever God promised his loving kindness, his mercy, he promised it not based on how his people acted but on his reliability. Sometimes we talk about being committed Christians. The Bible doesn't really talk about committed Christians. It talks about a committed God. We might be committed Christians, but the important point is that we've got a committed God. He loves us and he's promised to love us and he's reliable. He sticks to his promise. Jesus said, "'Do not let your hearts be troubled.'" You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What better guide could we have through life and eternity, through death into eternity, than the Lord Jesus? He will shepherd us through there. He is the God who has come to live life through all its uh, difficulties here on earth. He has died. He has come back from the grave. He has pioneered that route for us. He will come back and get us and take us to live with him in God's house forever. Some of the people who were present at the feeding of the 5,000, they probably went home saying, well, that's just about the best tuna sandwich I have ever had. But like us, they were supposed to go home saying about Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the deepest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My question to you this morning is, can you say the Lord is my shepherd? Yes. 